Hello and welcome to SAE Tomorrow Today. I am your host, Grayson Brulte. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to have Jeff Chow, co-founder and CEO of Sonatas. On today's episode, Jeff and I discuss the future of software-defined vehicles. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Thank you. Very happy to be here and excited to be talking about all sorts of good topics that are happening in the world of mobility and auto. Fantastic. I'm excited to have you here because software will play an absolutely critical role in the future of mobility. And to kick things off, I love the level set because you're really smart at this. What is a software-defined vehicle? If you talk to 10 different people in the industry, you'll get 20 different answers. Uh, and I've heard it all. Honestly, I've heard, oh, you know, software is going to define the features of a vehicle. I've heard that. I've heard we have more software in our car than you have in an airplane. And by the way, I'm not sure that's a great thing to brag about. But anyway, we do hear about that. You know, we have 100 million lines of code or something like that. We've also heard that because it's all software, we can update it, right? So there's this thing called OTA that's the current state of the art. And so we're a software-defined vehicle because we can do OTA. I've heard that. Uh, these are all great beginnings, but really they're, they're not a complete story. So in some ways, there is static definition. There, uh, where does the demarcation line is between hardware and software? That's basically what it is, is where do we define software, where it starts, and where does hardware end? And that's a very static uh, notion of a software-defined vehicle. And based on our background as our team, we come from the world of tech and IT, and we've built infrastructure for enterprise data centers, service providers, cloud, it's more of a dynamic answer. It's really more about what a software-defined vehicle needs to be able to do and can do. And the way we define it is you have to be able to observe what's going on, even in real time. You have to be able to collect the right data. You have to be able to have visibility into this thing. The second thing you have to be able to do is you have to be able to recognize certain events, right? Once you have observability, you have to have the ability to recognize things like security breaches or things that go wrong in the vehicle or are about to go wrong. You might also have to recognize driver behavior or potentially market opportunities for new features or new products, right? So that recognition is part of it. Then the third leg of this is you have to then be able to act upon what you recognized because this closed feedback loop is a big part of a software-defined vehicle. And by the way, OTA and updates is one leg of that. It's reaction, it's action, but it's not observation, it's not recognition. And the last part of this is you have to automate all these things because things have to happen quicker. Things are happening in real time, right? So if you take all of those things, that is a software-defined vehicle, and you have to create the software functionality to be able to do all of those things. And that is very fundamentally slightly different than just saying the features are going to be defined by software, or we got a lot of software, or we can do updates. So that's, that's how we view what a software-defined vehicle is. And it provides a lot of value to not just the customer, the person that buys the car, but also to the OEM how they run their business, how they manage their vehicle. 
It provides value to tier one suppliers. It provides value to fleet managers and even potentially dealers, right? So the whole supply chain up and down uh, automotive. Provides value to the consumer that's going to own the vehicle instead of having a light on the dashboard trying to figure out what it means. The software-defined vehicle could diagnose it, send the data to the dealer, and dealer could potentially call the customer and say, hello, Mr. Mrs. Customer, we need to replace this and this. Can you bring in this day? That creates value. But how do we get there? Well, it's a journey. It is a journey. It won't happen overnight. And I think it requires a lot from even a technology perspective as well as a culture perspective. We are talking about a disruption in the industry, a transformation. And really, it's about two industries coming together. It's about the mobility, uh, transportation, automotive industry coming together with the tech industry, uh, the IT industry. And anytime you have that disruption, it takes time. And I think one of the biggest hurdles isn't necessarily just technology, it's culture. You know, it's, it's kind of like people talk about survival of the fittest. Well, in this case, it's not. It's not the strongest survive. It's not the fittest survive. It's the whoever can adapt quicker will survive. And that mindset around adapting and changing, I think, is the biggest challenge that the existing industry faces. And really, that pace of how fast they can adapt is going to be up to them. And that's the amount of time that it's going to take. It's, it's not really about technology adoption. I think it can happen very quickly. A lot of the technology has been done before in tech, in cloud, in data center. And we built that. This team built those before over the last 20, 30 years. So I think this is going to be more about culture, organization, than it will be about technology adoption. I want to expand, expand upon adapting because in a recent interview in Auto Futures, you say the following, the relationship between car companies and their customers is changing. Consumers now expect their cars to mimic the functionality of their smartphone. You're 100% right. Why? You're seeing Apple with the 2023 CarPlay announcement that they had at their developer conference. It's coming. Why are large OEMs not saying consumers are demanding this? They're going to vote with their pocketbook and go somewhere else if we don't do this. I think they all intrinsically and internally recognize that, but you know what they say to the outside world is slightly different than what they're trying to do on the inside. But I think it's, it's pretty much a given that a lot of OEMs, you talk to a lot of execs and, and chief architects, they recognize that. But one of the things I think that we're trying to bring to the table is push them slightly beyond that. It's not just a cell phone on wheels, guys. It's a data center on wheels. And they go, why is that? And I'll tell you the big difference here and why it needs to be more than a cell phone on wheels. Number one, a vehicle has a network inside of it, right? You've got all these sensors, you've got all these cameras, you have all of these MCUs and CPUs, hundreds of them. They're being consolidated, but many of them, and they have to be connected by a network. Yesterday's vehicle is connected by CAN networks, but they're rapidly moving to not just CAN, but also Ethernet. So a cell phone doesn't have an internal network, a car does, that's number one. Number two is just the sheer amount of data that a car generates 
and needs to analyze and needs to be able to recognize events, that's orders of magnitude more than a, than a cell phone, right? The third reason why is reliability. It's safety. So your car cannot, the internal infrastructure, the internal network cannot crash, right? You have to be able to react in real time. You have to be able to detect things in real time. You have to be able to reroute things. You have to be, you have to have a certain amount of redundancy. All of that's in the data center. It's not in your cell phone. And the fourth thing is security, right? So because you're adopting these new technologies like a modern network in a vehicle, more connectivity, and you're running more applications, and it's not just about find the, ne the nearest coffee shop that's on your cell phone, but it's also your drivetrain, it's also your transmission, it's also environment, it's also safety, it's all these things. You need all that technology that is in the cloud, except it needs to be in the car. So we feel that it's more than just a data center, on, uh, a more than just a, a cell phone on wheels, it's a data center on wheels. And I think that's the conversation that we're trying to have in this space. It's a conversation that has to be elevated because you're right. When you explain it that way, now I get it. Why it's a data center on wheels. You always hear the, the analogy, oh, it's a cell phone on wheels. We don't want to outsource it to Apple or Google. We want to control it. But you're looking at this going down into the architecture level. Do you credit your background in data centers and your team's background in IT to say, wait a second, there's a lot more here than just a quote unquote cell phone? Yeah, I think that pretty much you know, emanates and that is the origin of our vision, our philosophy, our methodology and our thinking around how to innovate in this space is if you look at how the data center and cloud in the, the world of IT has evolved over the last 30 or 40 years, the same forces that made software-defined technologies a requirement in that world is there in the world of auto or mobility. So we feel that the same evolutionary process and the same technologies that evolved out of the data center is going to be needed in vehicles. I want to uh, hone in on a specific vehicle here. Uh, the Genesis GV GV60 incorporates the Sonata's digital dynamics vehicle platform. That brand is growing at rapid paces. I've had the privilege a couple weeks ago of uh, taking one for a test drive. It was a beautiful drive in a well-engineered vehicle. What are the benefits for your platform running in the Genesis? And congratulations on the deal. As, as I mentioned, the brand is just growing. Thank you very much. We have been very, very fortunate to have this opportunity to partner with our customer to help them bring a lot of their vehicles into this new world of, of software-defined vehicle. And I think it is, as we were talking about before, it is a journey. It's not gonna happen overnight. The Genesis GV60 and the many vehicles that we will be going into over the next year or so is part of this journey. So the average consumer may not be able to see it directly, but there are a lot of things and a lot of value that we bring to the table that will help our customer and their entire ecosystem bring value to their vehicles. You know, for example, being able to recognize potential failures that might happen in the car ahead of time, being able to correct them proactively, being able to potentially even look at introducing new features for their ecosystem, for their suppliers, for their own R&D engineers quicker. Eventually that'll move closer and closer to the consumer itself, 
But again, that's going to take a little time. But this is an important first and second step that we have taken uh, with our first customer. How will the errors be proactively corrected? Well, I mean, there are many, many examples of this, but you can imagine perhaps there was a problem with braking, for example, braking under certain circumstances. And one example that we use is braking when it's raining outside, right? So the brakes get wet and maybe they feel a little mushy. What is happening? So this is part of the software-defined vehicle because we can we enable our customer to be able to observe what's going on in the vehicle, right? So they can collect data, they can have a, a visibility into what's going on across the entire vehicle. The second thing we enable is allowing them to recognize certain events. Hey, something's going wrong with the brakes. And by the way, it is raining outside and the driver is pumping the brakes when the car is going over 60 miles an hour. Something is happening. So what's going on? Potentially there's something going on with the ABS or something is going on with who knows what, right? So that ability to recognize that event is part of our software. And then lastly is you have to be able to act upon it once you recognize it. So it could be do something with the brakes. It could be notify the user. It could be notify the dealer, right? And, and alert that something needs to be done or something needs to be fixed. And by the way, the last part, it's all automated, right? Because you can't have a human at headquarters looking at millions of vehicles and trying to figure something out because that takes time. This has to happen in real time, right? Things are moving faster and faster. So that's, that's going back to our definition of software-defined vehicle. That's fundamental to something like this that allows our customer or partners or whoever to be able to fix things or react to things before they become problems or immediately after they become issues. When you automate it, you open up my favorite topic, scalable. Yep. Now, if you're going to have a million vehicles in the field, it's scalable. You're not going to run into, oh, we're at threshold, too many vehicles. We're not going to have the value there. So while the whole thing's being automated, you're sending all this data. I'm like, uh-oh, data centers have large pipes going into them for lots of data. Cars have LTE, some cars still have 4G, or you've got older cars out there with still 3G connections. How much data does it take for these vehicles to incorporate your system and actively run your system? That's a great question. And we're very, very conscious of that because every OEM is paying for that LTE link, whether it's download or upload. So one of the value propositions that our software has is, you know, they can decide to transmit all their data if they want, but that's very expensive. What they really need is smarts and intelligence to transmit only the data that they care about. And, and that could be a very small percentage, right? Going back to the breaking and rain scenario, think about instead of collecting all of the data from a vehicle all the time across all your fleet, how about only collecting data from the vehicles that are actually experiencing that issue? right in the moment that it happens so 30 seconds window for example so that's that's orders of magnitude less data but it's more important data and it's more interesting data and that's what matters everybody can do the brute force way where they're collecting everything but that's so expensive right and it also takes time 
for some human to go through and post-process all of that in order to get the important pieces of data. But what happens if you have the intelligent built in already where you're only transmitting the interesting data? It's kind of like your home security system that's recording everything, including the bird that flies by or in your driveway and nothing is happening for 23 hours and 30 seconds. <laughs> you know, you only want you know, the interesting moment. And, and that's part of our software. When that interesting moment is caught, for example, when you mentioned the, the, the breaking in the rain, then is that eventually used to in, potentially improve braking where an update is pushed out to the vehicle based on something that was uncovered in the data? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the reaction part of the, the, the recognition of certain events is, is that third leg that we were talking about. And so that's where you have the, the greatest opportunities to make improvement to your vehicle, whether it's safety improvement, whether it is uh, security improvement, whether it's new features to, to improve the, the user experience of the vehicle improvement, right? There's all sorts of improvements. And it's not just improvements, but it could be tweaks, it could be optimization, it could be many things, right? It could be even something as simple as a dealer needs to perform uh, diagnostics before the vehicle actually arrives at the, at the shop, right? Which indirectly improves cost, actually directly uh, saves the money, but it also for the consumer, it means less time waiting for your vehicle, right, in the dealer. So uh, there's all sorts of opportunities once you start thinking about a software-defined vehicle in those in those ways. Waiting at the dealer to get your vehicle back, they're never on time. It's boring. Okay, I got to go. No, we're still doing stuff. So you're, you're going to save individuals a, a lot of time there. What you explained with the braking, the dealer example to me said, okay, you're taking a traditional vehicle and you're making it a highly efficient vehicle. So it's kind of where you had one data center, then you had a cluster, and then before RAID, then you had RAID. Is that where you're saying, okay, we know how to optimize a data center for massive scalability. We're going to optimize the, the global vehicles for efficiency and scalability? That's definitely part of it. But, you know, I'll go back to one of the reasons, you know, the biggest reasons why software-defined technologies was absolutely necessary in the data center. And that's better, faster, cheaper. And that's true across every industry. You always want to do things better, faster, cheaper. And what do we mean by that? Better does mean being able to better manage your fleet, being able to manage better your individual vehicle, better in terms of managing your business or your profit margins or your revenue streams, right? Or your supply chains. That's, that's there in cloud and that's there in, in auto. So the second thing is about faster because things are happening more in real time. So you gotta be able to react faster. Right? Whether it's downtime, whether it's improvement, whether it's security issues, faster is important, which means you got to take out that human intervention, right? And cheaper because you have to do things more efficiently. So better, faster, cheaper is there in every industry. Those same forces are here in auto. And that is why you have the same pressure to adopt these technologies in, in vehicles. Is what you're building a Sonatus over there updates 2.0, 3.0, is this the next evolution of where over the updates are going where they become highly efficient and not reliant on getting a Wi-Fi connection to download a gigabit or whatever the size of the file might be? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the the version 1.0 to use your terms about OTA over the air updates 
is about downloading a software update, which means huge files, hundreds of megabytes, and then which requires, by the way, a host of you know, a team of engineers developing code, compiling code, testing code, certifying code, and then doing this OTA campaign across millions of vehicles. Okay. So let's take let's go back to our principle of software defined vehicle. And let's say we don't need human intervention. So you don't need to write new code. You don't need to compile and test. You can do quote unquote an update instead of hundreds of megabytes. It can be the size of a tweet. It can be kilobytes. So that can happen in real time. And it's cheaper because the OEM doesn't have to pay for that huge LTE download, right? So this is inherently one of the, the, I think, the important pieces of our technology and our vision is now think about being able to adapt your vehicle in real time, non-disruptively and efficiently and cheaply. Right. So that's that's a key part of what we consider a software defined vehicle needs to have. I like when you say non-disruptive because you're getting OTA. Oh, we can't leave the house for an hour and a half because the, the software is updating and gosh forbid you lose the power and the Wi-Fi. Go up, oh, got to start all over. Then you, the cell phone term, you have a brick. Yep. You're you're eliminating that. Absolutely. You know, OTA to us is a very 20th century, a very 1990s technology. It's the equivalent of, as you put it, downloading a, a new version of Windows and up and and rebooting your laptop, or telling your iPhone to update at 3 a.m. Uh, when you're asleep. Right. So you're not expecting text messages or phone calls at that time. Uh, that's a very antiquated view of updating your device. Right. And we didn't call it back in 1999. We didn't call it a software defined laptop. What we're talking about is 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 a new way. Let's bring everybody into the 21st century and look at dynamic, real time, non-disruptive adaptation of your device, whether it's a car, whether it's whatever it is. Right. A software defined entity. And, and that's what we have been doing over the last 10 years in cloud. And that's what we have to do in vehicles as well. As you develop and you scale this vision, you've got bad actors that live on the dark web say, aha, new target. What are the benefits from a cybersecurity perspective to your platform as compared to a traditional over-the-air update platform? Well, I think over-the-air still takes time, right? And it takes human intervention. That's the issue. And it's expensive. So what you want to do is uh, whenever you recognize a security event, uh, an intrusion, a breach, whatever you want to call it, you have to be able to react quicker. You have to be able to, to stop that event. You have to be able to uh, increase security. You have to you know, change how things work in a vehicle. And that has to be done in real time. And that has to, so therefore you can't have human intervention. You can't be sending out huge OTAs. So I think security is a big need as things go quicker, as things are more connected, you have more attack vectors, you have more opportunities for attackers to get into your vehicle and not just compromise the safety or the operation of the vehicle, but worse, get into the OEM's cloud and affecting an entire fleet. And, and I think that is where it is most akin to what you need to do in the data center is what you have to do in the vehicle. It's not just saving the vehicle, it's saving the fleet. Saving the fleet, that's a great point. Why are more OEMs not taking this data, cent- data center-centric 
approach to security where you look at like the chief security officers commonly known as CISOs they're in there every day looking for every little thing and it just seems that in mobility and automotive it's yeah okay we'll, we'll get we'll eventually get there yeah I think a lot of it is uh, commonly what happens in security is that it doesn't become the highest priority until it fails so when that day happens that day of reckoning where somebody breaks into a vehicle and then gets into the fleet, I think it will become the highest priority for every OEM. But that hasn't happened yet. But it's going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. And hopefully, you know, we can be helpful in preventing that from happening in the first place. We want to be helpful. You, you, you want to be on offense, not on defense at the end of the day. Absolutely right. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that we're hoping to bring to the table is like, you know, we've been down this road before, and these are some of the things that you need to think about ahead of time. And I think we can bring a, a different point of view, a fresh point of view, and an experienced point of view, having dealt with very, very similar problems and technologies. It just happens to be in a different industry, but it's very much applicable to automotive and mobility. A different point of view, I'll use a better term. It's a valid point of view. It's a valid point of view with a track record of history of implementing, securing, and scaling. And as you bring that valid point of view, talking to multiple OEMs, how are you planning to scale your digital dynamics vehicle platform? Well, I think you know that is always a challenge for a relatively new supplier like ourselves. I think one of the advantages we have is we now have a track record, right? We're in mass production. We're going into volumes of vehicles. We're going into millions of vehicles. We know how to, not just from a technology perspective, integrate our technology uh, into uh, existing volume vehicles, but we know how to work with OEMs and we know how to fit into their supply chain, right? And that's a huge stepping stone for any new supplier is fitting into that ecosystem because it's very complex, right? It's been there in many cases for decades, 50, 100 years, and we're not here to disrupt businesses or relationships or anything like that. We're here to fit into how they do business, but we're also hoping to introduce enough change that, that brings them along into this 21st century. And so I think credibility is a big part of it, right? Credibility and experience is a big part of that, which we have. And the second part is as a company, we're investing, right? We are going global. We have a team in EMEA. We have several teams in Asia. And to support our next set of customers, we need to show that dedication, right? We need to make that investment in their backyard to make them feel comfortable that we can be a supplier they can count on, that we can, we can dedicate our company and our priorities to them. And I think that's very, very key. And as you, in, in your terms, you look to quote unquote, fit in. When do we get to a point where software-defined vehicles become standardized? Well, I think that's a great question. And again, if you look at history, we can learn from history. And generally speaking, standardization comes later. It comes after initial adoption. So I think what will probably need to happen is some technology will probably need to be adopted by more than one OEM to begin with. Uh, and then they must see some kind of value towards standardization. So 
I feel standardization is, is inevitable, just like it is in other industries, but it's going to take time. If anything, it's part of the journey. When when you get there in the journey, do you feel a standardization and standards will be a, a positive for your business? I think so. I think standardization at the end of the day is positive for everybody, right? Because then you can start leveraging ideas and technologies and solutions across the industry and things move faster. And if you're not part of that train, then you're left behind, right? So standardization is is proven to be good for any, any industry and it's not going to be any different here. You're clearly on the cutting edge of something that's special that's going to have a, a positive impact on the global OEM market. And I love your, your opinion on this. How do you envision the future of software-defined vehicles evolving over the coming decades? That's also a great question. And I always take my cue from history because we've seen this before. It's kind of the same playbook. And if you look at how IT and data centers and cloud have evolved over the last 30 to 40 years since the late 80s, that same trajectory of evolution is going to happen in automotive. The difference is it's got to happen over the next five to 10 years as opposed to 40 years before it. Because every one of these digital disruptions is faster. That journey is faster than what happened before it. So the software-defined vehicle, the thinking around new architectures is going to be very much similar to what happened before. And that is, if you look at history, it started off as a set of siloed, functional-based equipment in the data center. And that's what we have in the vehicle today. You have silos of functional ECUs. You have your drivetrain, you have your transmission, right? You have your windows, you have your seats. Everybody has a little CPU. There's like 150 MCUs in a car today. Back then we had a siloed called a word processing engine. We had a supercomputer that did your uh, high performance computing, right? Everything was a silo. What happened after that was universal connectivity, networks, right? And, and that's what's happening in vehicles today. And once you had that modern network in a data center, what happened? All sorts of new things happened. Hardware became a little more fungible. It became a little more genericized because now you could have software that runs anywhere, right? You had shared resources, you had different business models, right? Software and orchestration became more important because things now became spread out geographically within a data center, across data centers. So that evolution that happened in the data center is happening in auto today. And if you look at that, those trends, I think uh, as a student of history in, in the world of tech, you'll arrive at the natural conclusion of where it's going in, in automotive. I love the comparison to history and there's other things where a lot of these things have been driven by consumer demand. Where do you feel that the consumer demand in automotive when they're going to demand, I want software, I want the connectivity, I want, I want low bandwidth. Will they drive a lot of these changes with the OEMs, the sales start going down. Give you an example from history. Henry Ford had the model T and his son Edsel, no dad, we have to put Chrome. We have to make a new vehicle. There's this thing called the Buick that's coming. It's a luxury vehicle. Henry Ford didn't want to build it. Reluctantly, he uh, made the Model A. Sales started to take off again because it was driven by consumer. Yep, 
and and it's going to happen here too. You know, I have kids and I, I see the next generation and the way they think about vehicles is very different than the way I think about vehicles. And it's becoming less and less about what we call the physics of a vehicle, like what we call the driving dynamics. And it's becoming more about the digital dynamics of a vehicle. It, 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 what matters more to, to my kids is how does a vehicle fit into their digital lifestyle? And that's what's going to drive differentiation for vehicles going forward, especially when we get to EVs, by the way. Because when you're looking at EVs, a battery is a battery is a battery, and a DC motor is a DC motor is a DC motor. And where it's going to change is how does that car, how does it look and feel, and how does it fit into your digital lifestyle? And by the way, when it comes to digital lifestyle, it's all about software. And I think that is where things are going to disrupt. And, and by the way, you know, when you look at what happened in the world of tech, all of the infrastructure that went into infrastructure innovation that went into cloud had to be there first before new innovations arrived, like social media, for example, right? We went through this disruption with social media. Who knew 20 years ago that media would be turned upside down where now my kids are the content of the media and they can decide how the world consumes their content, right? I mean, nobody would have thought of that. Similarly, all of the innovation that's happening in automotive and mobility today will unlock new use cases and new value proposition and new business cases and new applications that frankly, we don't even see today. And the next generation will absolutely demand those uh, new features and new thinking and new applications uh, that will also demand OEMs and their suppliers to evolve and adopt new technologies like software. And I think that's, that's happening. So that's what's so exciting about this because I don't think anybody can say for certain where this is going. There's just the technology is going to be there that unlocks completely new thinking. It's going to be the new thinking today. You, you get in the vehicle. Some vehicles might know your preferences, but in the future, uh, your kids and my kids, they're going to want to have all their preferences in there. This is the music I listen to. This is the temperature. This is where I'm going. Oh, that vehicle. No, I'm not going that. I'm, I'm going to get this one. It, it, it's going to def their preferences and habits of the way that they've grown up is going to define the future of the automobile industry, the question is, are they willing to adapt or will a new startup step in and say, Hup, we hear you, generation. You're going to have massive purchasing power in 15 years. We're going to build the vehicle for you. And that's going to be really interesting to see where that goes. Absolutely. And you know, the other twist to this is my kids really don't care about owning a car. What they really want is transportation as a service. They want to get from point A to point B and experience their own digital life during that transportation. And so, you know, potentially the ownership model of a vehicle changes where, where the next generation doesn't own a car one-to-one. -one. I'm a driver, I buy a car. It's, they just want transportation as a service, which means everything that you've talked about, the personalization, that experience, has to also pick up and travel from that for, with them from car to car. So how is that going to work, right? I mean, that's all software, by the way. 
but now your preferences and your personalization, your customization, your digital life travels with you, not with your car. And, and that is going to be where a software-defined vehicle is really going to play a big role. That's the future. That's what you're building. And we're really excited to have you here today, Jeff, because you clearly told that story. You're clearly onto something special. And as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them today? Well, I think there's a lot to take away, actually, and it depends on what kind of listener is, is, is listening in here. I think for OEMs and their ecosystem, their suppliers, their partners, what I would like for them to take away is that this is a journey and they need to pick the right partners to work with because it's not just about what you know today, it's about seeing what you need to have going forward. So it's about planning, you know, having the right architecture, having the right solutions, knowing where the potholes are ahead of time. And I think recognizing that this is about two industries coming together and the lessons that we've learned in another industry called IT is gonna be relevant here as well. So that's, that's one takeaway I would like to, to, for them to have. And the second takeaway is for everyone else, the folks that are buying vehicles and looking at what is important to their to, to them as they go out and, and look at vehicles. And it is about recognizing the potential of having you know, a vehicle that is no longer defined by what it does on the day you buy it. It is defined by what it can do going forward. It's, it becomes a platform, right? It's, you don't go to Best Buy to buy a laptop for what it can do on day one. You buy a laptop because it is a platform that constantly evolves and it can add value over the course of when you own it. And that's what a vehicle is going to be. And so when you're looking at what kind of vehicles will become important to you, I think you need to look at what those vehicles can become as you own it going forward. Rightly said, vehicles are a platform that will be defined by software because today is tomorrow, tomorrow is today, and the future is software-defined vehicles. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on SAE Tomorrow Today. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to join us next week as we speak with Zero Obvious, James McMicking, who will discuss the team's work to replace conventional engines with hydrogen electric powertrains lowering operating costs and reducing emissions. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.